Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off Podcast. In today's episode, I've got Jay with me. Jay, what is it that you do? Hey, thanks, Holly. First of all, it's a pleasure being here. Um, what do I do? I'm the founder at TechForce, a cybersecurity services company based in Aberdeen, the beautiful Scotland, the most, most beautiful country in the world. Um, we have one simple mission to make the businesses cyber resilient. That's it. And the services we offer, the work we do aligns with that mission. So what's cybersecurity in Aberdeen like? Is it different to elsewhere in the UK? Do you think that you have, you know, um, a niche view by being located where you are? Or is cyber the same for everybody? Cybersecurity is almost the same for everybody, right? In Aberdeen, it's slightly different in, in, in the sense that uh, we talk about OT and IT cybersecurity. And uh, most people work in IT not as proficient as they are in IT security when you compare the skills in OT security. And Aberdeen is hub for, you know, the world oil and gas capital, well, second capital or something like that. And there are so many oil and uh, gas businesses here, and uh, you see OT security being talked about a lot. That's something you do not hear uh, in most other cities in the UK. So that's the only part different about uh, Aberdeen. But rest of the security is same. It's all same, same concept. Yeah, that's true from, from my experience. Very often we talk, we talk uh, to and about IT professionals and people often talk about, you know, being familiar with IT, but we see OT as this other thing, but it sounds like for you, it, it's all connected these days and it's something that you're working with all the time. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So it's all connected and OT in, it is now more integrated into IT uh, with the, uh, uh, IoT devices connected to the internet. Um, it's just about the getting the skills right, because um, the way you protect OC, OT assets are different from IT. Uh, but um, yeah, professionals like us, we make it easy. <laughs> <laughs> so you you talk about wanting to make organizations cyber resilient. What does the word resilient mean to you? So the word resilient means that you are able to withstand or uh, you are almost um, bulletproof against the cyber attacks. I, I say the word bulletproof, it's not really, but it's the matter of when the, the organizations are not protecting themselves. Uh, but resilient, having all the tools, all the processes, technologies, right people in place to protect yourself and reduce the risk. Is it that easy, though? Because I think one of the things that a lot of organizations worry about is supply chain risk. So not only have they got to deal with their own stuff, but they've got to deal with all of these other companies giving them services, giving them products, that kind of thing. If it's easy, Holly, you and me, we both don't have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and we don't have businesses, right? Um no, it's it's not easy, and and uh, there are not many things easy in in life. Uh, and cybersecurity is same. Uh, it's a constant challenge, and in the ever evolving threat landscape, right? You have your own stuff to worry about, your own uh, people, your own processes, your own technologies you're using, where the loopholes are, you know, internal, external, and everything, right? And then now you have supply chain. 
you know, your vendors that can bring in their own vulnerabilities, and that, that's a risk for you. And lately, as we discovered, you could be using a supplier that could be using a technology, and that technology company could be hacked. And as a result, you are the collateral damage. You know, that's what we have seen in the Kaseya attack, right? And even solar winds. So, no, it's not easy. It's not easy. So that's why we are here. And that's why we, uh, as I always say, being the good guys we are, we need to win every single time. The bad guys, they need to win only once. Yeah, <laughs> that that's the difficult thing about being on, on the defensive side of things, isn't it? Is that there's so many different things to worry about. Yes. So you introduce yourself as a founder. What made you found? What do you think it is that, that you bring that is unique to the marketplace? I'm, I'm passionate about helping people, right? Um, whether it is cybersecurity, IT, or something else. Um, in general, I do mentor people that are seeking jobs or setting up new businesses. So it just happened to be, um, I happened to be in IT, and then we set up a business uh, offering IT support for you know high growth businesses or small businesses. And then as we going in the journey, as happens with most businesses, the demand for cyber was more than demand for IT, but the supply in the IT was more than in cyber. So our customers kept asking about cybersecurity and tools or assessments and whatnot. So we had to take a decision at some point in time. So we pivoted our business model. So we sold our IT support and then just focusing on cybersecurity. And that's how I ended up in cybersecurity. But uh, the core ethos, me as a person or me in our business as well, just helping people, helping businesses. I think that is um, an often overlooked aspect of working in cybersecurity, especially as a supplier, is the fact that like we're here to help people. I know definitely like I see it in the penetration testing space where we want to talk about how cool our job is and how awesome it is to hack people and things like that. But at the end of the day, we are trying to make organizations more secure. So hearing you say that, you know, your passion is helping people. It makes a lot of sense to see you move from IT support into IT security because it's such a big thing. It is, absolutely. And uh, it was a business decision as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, we would like to make money, create jobs and more jobs, help more people. Um, so it was a conscious business decision at the time to you know, sell off our IT division and then focus on cyber. And it's, it's, a, it's a very, as you find, it's a very, very interesting industry to be in. Yeah, I think one of the one of the reasons I find cybersecurity so interesting is just because it's such a big problem space. Exactly as you mentioned a second ago, it's not just companies worrying about their own stuff. It's not just companies worrying about their suppliers. It's companies worrying about their suppliers' technologies, and you get things like um, the Kasaya attack and, and SolarWinds and things like that. I presume everybody has heard of the Kasaya attack, but can you give us a brief overview of of what that uh, attack was and and how it's relevant to supply chain? So, okay, as far as I can understand it, um, <laughs> you can correct me here if I'm if I'm wrong. Kasaya was uh, targeted by a nation state group, Revel or Revel, however you like to call them. They got into one of their update servers and replaced the update uh, files with uh, their own malware. Eventually, Kasaya thought 
okay, well, this is the legitimate files, DLLs and all, whatnot, and all the uh, servers which were receiving the updates from Kasaya got this uh, malware. I think it is uh, similar to what happened to Maersk, the NotPetya attack. That is exactly what I was thinking. Yes. That, that would be my go-to example of, uh, yeah, a malicious software update that was used as the distribution mechanism for ransomware, or, or what we thought at the time was ransomware. Yes. Um, so in that case, it was pure destruction. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it was financial gain. The hackers were asking money. So where we left. So, um, yeah, they got into update software and they managed to send this malicious update. And I think there were about 40 known MSPs were affected. That means most of the customers which was using and that Kasaya agent on their PCs were affected as well. I believe there were around 1,000 businesses were affected by this incident. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in a, in a, in a nutshell, that's what happened. And that's what, that's what I meant earlier as well. You don't know, you're just using some tool provided by your supplier, but they haven't made the tool. They're just reselling or using from somebody else. So you're the third-party person that is part of a, you know, a collateral damage. Yeah, and this is the the brilliant thing about like supply chain attacks to that level is the number of organizations that it impacts, right? I remember from the Snowden disclosures, one of the uh, things that came out from that was the idea that intelligence organizations might target um, MSPs certainly, but you know, systems administrators, because those people don't just have access to one machine, they have access to many machines, or if they're a service provider, many companies' machines. And that's how we can see uh, attacks like this that are just just huge, just so many organizations impacted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, SolarWinds was even bigger, wasn't it? So thousands of organizations were impacted. They're targeting admin ad, admin accounts and admin credentials, and that's exactly what happened in not, not Pethia incident as well. That whole event with Maersk was so devastating just because the bad guys or the malware here managed to get hold of the admin credentials within seconds of being in the environment. And then in the next seven minutes, there were 50,000 devices were encrypted. That's just crazy. Yeah, this is um, this is one of the big things that I often talk to companies about on the uh, minimizing impact side of a, a cyber attack is that very often when organizations describe their response plans to me, they are manual, they're human orientated, we would detect this, and then we would take these actions. And then you see attacks of this nature where the attack is automated, they move so quickly. I mean, the NotPetya attack is a brilliant example of that, where the malicious update was a distribution mechanism. But once the malicious software was inside the network, it propagated using a well known technique effectively over PS exec. But the, the point of that is just that that's automated. That's so incredibly quick that you, you're not going to be able to perform a, a manual response to that. And that isn't a recent attack. The NotPetya attack was 2017. So we should have had years to learn from that by now. You know, we're, full, we're um, almost exactly four years on. Yeah. I was listening to the CIO, Adam Banks, at the InfoSec Europe. He was he was part of a photo shoot in the morning when he's he got two mobiles, one phone ringing and he ignored, another phone ringing, he ignored. As soon as that other first stopped, this phone ringing, and he was like, oh, something is wrong. Let's pick up. When he picked up, and yeah, the news was bad. The interesting thing about um, ransomware attacks, so I did, I did incident response for the NotPetya attack, but the, the reason I wanted to point that out is when we got the phone call, we didn't know what we know now. 
now when we're looking back and it's a nation state backed destruction attack it looked like ransomware but it was um complex and interesting but when i got the phone call from from that customer we actually had um two customers that were impacted and we got two phone calls and the brief that i got was oh we've been hit by ransomware and that did not sound interesting to me even back in 2017 it's like oh it's just another ransomware it doesn't uh, all right i'll go and help them out kind of thing and it actually ended up turning out to be a novel attack it had supply chain aspects to it. It was nation state backed. Then it looked like ransomware, but it wasn't ransomware. It was a destruction tool. So it ended up being a really interesting um, incident response. But I just wanted to point out to people who have never worked incident response before. It's like, you don't know that when you answer the phone. No, no. It can only connect the dots looking backwards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, and you you mentioned something uh, interesting earlier. It seems uh, we haven't learned much. Uh, yes, it seems to be the case. But however, it seems the bad guys... They learned from uh, Narpathia. They were probably expecting they can hold the uh, the org- affected organizations to a ransom, but it wasn't the case. They it was actually spreading faster than what they thought. It was just just destructing. There was no way for them to get payments. But this time with the Kaseya, what they were asking around what seventy million US dollars or something. The figures these days are, are huge. I don't know for for Kaseya, but even for what I guess now are small attacks, when Travelex got hit at the beginning of 2020, um, they ended up paying the ransom and that was approximately $3 million. That was for a single organization being hit. So then, you know, scaling that up to what we're talking about now, which is not a single organization being hit, it's many organizations being hit. The potential total monetary gain for the attackers is is crazy. Yeah, it seems to be the trend started in 2019, I believe, where the attackers actually figure, right, you know, if we hold somebody from for ransom just to lock their system and then ask for $300 in bitcoins, it's not going to be helpful. Um, but actually, extract, exfiltrate the data, then hold them for ransom. That's even more profitable. And that's been happening ever since. And we have seen many, many examples. Yeah, and we're seeing all kinds of examples of just complex attacks in general, yeah. um, going back uh, quite a long time. So this is one of the things that I try and talk to customers about is the fact that, you know, don't plan for ransomware because the the attack might be multifaceted. So as you mentioned there, um, ransomware deployment for monetization, but they might also steal data, which allows for data breach and additional leverage, those kinds of things. But there's there's other ways. I saw somebody discussing on Twitter a couple of days ago something that I thought was interesting, which is compromising a network and then deploying uh, a cryptocurrency miner. Not necessarily to monetize, like not that not being the final gain, although, you know, some additional profit's nice, but as a mechanism of working out how effective the organization's response would be. Because if you don't know somebody crypto mining on your network, you're probably not going to notice anything, right? No. So using that as like a, a measuring stick to see, okay, how much can we get away with on this network before they notice us? Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, and like I was saying, you asked me earlier, what, what is a, a resilient means or cyber resilient means? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did say, yes, uh, we help businesses to be cyber resilient. We put the controls and whatnot. But there is also another aspect you look at. So, okay, what if, what happens if you are affected, if you have an incident, if you are breached, how quickly can you get back? So that's another part of a resiliency as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I like to to talk to customers about. I I tend to refer to it as minimizing impact. So it's like, 
you know, we got we got through the stages of a cyber attack in terms of like, can you detect it? Can you prevent it? But where you can't prevent it, can you make it less impactful? And it's funny, a lot of people are often not open to those discussions where we talk about things like, can we reduce the number of records stolen? Can we reduce the amount of propagation the attacker can do? Hey, if you're going to get hit by ransomware, can we make it fewer machines? And I think that might come from the fact that a lot of people feel like that's still losing, like they still got hacked. But it's like, yeah, but I mean, there's a difference between getting hit like 10,000 machines encrypted and 10 machines encrypted, right? But a lot of companies, in my experience, don't like talking about that and they don't like that mindset. No, no. And the businesses are always some thinking, oh, no, it, it's not going to happen to us. It's only for us. <laughs> Ransom is only for big businesses. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm maybe seeing a little bit of a move away from that now. A lot of the customers that I talk to, they've changed from... Certainly a few years ago, where they were saying, oh, we'll never get impacted. A lot of organizations are paying attention to their peers. I did a um, presentation for a company recently, and one of the things that they wanted to include in that presentation was the fact that another organization within their sector had been compromised. And they didn't think they were a particularly interesting company or a particularly interesting vertical, but they're like, hey, these other guys got hacked. It was ransomware. Of course, it was ransomware. And said, like, that's the most direct thing that they can show to say they would be targeted, aside from being hit directly themselves. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. We we had a similar case as well. Um, it's a board of director in both the companies. Another mm-hmm. company got hit. And this company now taking cybersecurity seriously. And they called us and, and yeah, rest is history. No, it's, it's definitely changing. And also, um, you know, uh, before the podcast, uh, you, you guys mentioned you wanted to talk about the cybersecurity in Scotland. Also, you asked the question earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, being in Aberdeen, the Scottish government uh, and the number of organizations in Scotland has been doing lots of activity around cybersecurity to make the businesses cyber resilient. No, we have, you know, Scottish Cyber Business Resilience Centre, which deals with the cybersecurity for businesses and consumers in general. Police Scotland, as usual. And we have Scotland Ease organisations. And yeah, and Scottish government has been spending lots of money in the form of digital development boost. Anybody that gets the grant and has to go through some cyber hygiene check. No, it's, it's a lot happening and the momentum is shifting slowly. There's still some challenges with small businesses, but as you know, change, is, change takes time. Yeah, and it, it is all to do with enabling those companies, isn't it? It's like security is hard, so the easier we can make it for those companies to understand what we're doing and, and to access things like cyber essentials, right? It's not the most interesting topic, but it, it has no doubt been a huge thing for broad cybersecurity resilience for businesses. Let me clarify that because I'm sure the audience is screaming right now. I don't think cyber essentials is a high bar, but what I do think is it's a wonderful thing to say. I would not want to work with a company that couldn't achieve it because it is a low bar. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I would agree with you. And it's a baseline, right? Baseline. Yeah, good word. Yeah. Right. If, you, if you're an organization and you, if you think, we get these calls a lot, right? If you think, you don't know about cybersecurity or you don't know where to start, you don't know where to get help, then regardless of you get the certification or not, right? Just look at the cyber essentials framework. That's a good starting point. That's a baseline. And then take it from there, depending on your business requirements. Do you often find engaging with customers that they have the feeling or maybe make you think that they just don't know where to start? Yes and no. It depends, especially in SMBs. Yes. 
uh, as you go up uh, higher up in, in in larger larger businesses larger companies who has dedicated IT or cyber security teams then you don't find that much but in smaller businesses who probably outsource their IT or don't have an IT team or maybe just one man band or just an IT manager working on their own yes we do find people asking us hmm where do i start i tell you what i get which is a similar but different problem and i get it from some surprisingly big companies as well this idea of like a security bias i can give you an example a company that i work with where um, their head of IT, who is you know de facto the head of security, is formerly a software developer. So a lot of the things that he's bringing in and a lot of the things that he's focusing on is um, security life cycles, you know, code review, those kinds of things. And when I started working with him, one of the things that he had entirely missed was incident response, you know, business continuity testing, those kinds of things. Because, of course, he's um, focusing on his areas of expertise and his, his, his experience. And those were things that were important in his previous roles. And it's something that he knows to concentrate on, but has just missed these things. Do you find that with some customers where they do some things really well, but completely miss others? Yes. Um, so these these people usually fall into these roles. Um, as you said, either they were a developer or working in the a project management and IT guy left or there was an IT position created and they fall into fallen into that role, it's not their expertise, then they're asking the question again, okay, where can I get help for security? Um, yes, I do find it. How, how do you help those customers out? How do you where where do you start with security for, for those kinds of companies? So we try to understand uh, what they're trying to achieve or what their business goals are. Uh, usually, if they don't have a cyber essentials, if they can't achieve, as we discussed earlier, then uh, we start from there, right? Hey, let's get the basics done. Let's get you on to Cyber Essentials Plus, which is actually an audit included. And then let's look at your security awareness for your staff. Uh, let's look at your email protection, you know, basics. And once we get the basics out of the way, then we set a roadmap on what we want to do next and go from there. So security awareness is a pretty big thing. I think everybody mentions that when it comes to working with customers. Um, why haven't we solved that problem yet? Why don't we just have technology that does security awareness for us? Why do I have to tell people not to click links in emails? Why aren't all of the malicious emails just detected? If you want to solve that problem, you have to replace all the humans with robots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write that idea down. <laughs> because, you know, everybody is different, right? You, 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 you take five people and they have five different characters. And, you know, um, and, and bad guys adopt faster than good guys. Um, they are, the, the threats are always evolving. We raise the awareness levels for on, on, on something to our colleagues. And the next thing, there is something else. There is something else. It's a constant challenge. And also our colleagues are not our colleagues uh, for a long time. You know, people do move on. Then we have new employees. Yeah, it, it's, it's a, what, what do I say? Sorry, English was not my first language. So I'm trying to find the words here. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a continuous thing. Uh, I don't think... We can raise the awareness levels, um, but I don't think at any point in the future we will be able to say, yes, we solved the problem. It's um, 
It's good to hear you talking about people moving as well. A lot of companies that I work with fall foul of really quite basic things, but that can be difficult to plan for, which is the fact that people move. You know, if a company says something like, okay, once a year, uh, random day, you know, June the 1st, we're going to do our security awareness training. It's like, great. What if you hire somebody the day after? Do they have to wait a whole year before they get any training? And then building training into um, induction and things like that works really well for established companies who've maybe got a HR team who can handle all of that stuff. But, you know, if you're a small team or you're trying to um, be agile or if you're scaling quickly, getting security awareness into induction and doing it well more than just a PowerPoint can can be can be tough, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I was uh, listening to your, your podcast with Javad Malik the other day mm-hmm. um, and some of the points he mentions as well. That's uh, brilliant, you know, how some of the ideas of uh, how you can implement the security awareness and the, the various ideas around video content and the, the culture ambassadors or, or as he calls it, uh, culture carriers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And we have seen companies, our own customers, Right. We always recommend when somebody uh, signs up with a security awareness training with us is, you know, the best way, one of the best way is to make it part of the induction. Right. Whatever the training the employee gets on the first day, the, sh- the security awareness training should be in there. You know, pick several modules, five, six modules, something around passwords, Internet safety, online banking and whatnot, social media, you know, your own info, info, infosec policies. Just introduce them in the induction and then keep them trained regularly, consistently, make it fun and engaging, short and sweet. You know, um, it works. Make security fun. Absolutely. Make it fun. <laughs> and then make your security teams approachable as well. Don't be like, what's the organization name? I was trying to think. Uh, maybe you, you remember it. But anyway, so these guys, um, what did they do? They sent a phishing email about a bonus. Oh, I know the story that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of a global pandemic, sending an uh, email about a bonus. Yeah. Don't, don't be evil. Don't be evil. Don't be those, don't be those guys. Uh, yeah. Set clear objectives on why you're running phishing tests. Yeah, this is, this is one of those things that, that comes up and people say, you know, I mean, let's not get into a huge debate about ethics within cybersecurity because it's a huge topic. But people say things like, oh, you, you should be able to do security awareness Uh, phishing tests of that nature, things that are, you know, promising bonuses to employees, and then actually it's just a scam or a phishing test. And the justification for these things very often is, oh, but cyber criminals could do that. It's like, yeah, and cyber criminals could kidnap staff and threaten them with physical violence, but I'm not going to do that during a phishing test, am I? You know, (laughs) what we can fairly uh, emulate during security testing, practical security testing, is limited, you know? We can't do everything. Yeah. And if cyber criminals can spoof your own email, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, or business email compromise where it's like one person in the company has a weak password and that's it. You know, if I can then send an email internally to the company. Yeah. <laughs> Security awareness is hard, right? <laughs> it is hard. It is hard. Yeah. Implementing is hard. And also for people, yes, it can be hard. But yeah, well, we are here to make it easy. People like you and me. Yeah, definitely. And, and and approachable as well. I think sometimes um, building big security programs can seem quite, quite daunting to companies. I mean, hell, even the cyber essentials that we mentioned a second ago, 
just the questionnaire that you get for the basics cyber essentials, like 50 questions in there. <laughs> and you know, we talk we talk about these things all the time, you know, bringing it back to um, supplier security. Very often, if you want to work with another company, they'll send you a, um, a questionnaire with 100 questions in it. It's like, that can be pretty daunting. And also pretty difficult to fill out those, some of those questionnaires. Yeah. So here is a question for you uh, on the back of uh, a similar topic, right? So we all know what happened with Kaseya, the incident. And if you are uh, using an MSP who is using Kaseya, right? Um, looking back, what could you have done to make sure that supplier is taking care of all the cyber security controls? It's tough in many ways to... Um, be able to allow such a high degree of access to your systems whilst ensuring a high degree of security. And it's tough in a couple of different ways. The first is getting visibility into suppliers can be very tough. Most of the time when I'm filling in cybersecurity questionnaires from suppliers, um, I'm, I'm effectively like commenting on how the question isn't relevant to our business or something like that, you know. Like they'll they'll be talking about on-prem VMs and we're like, hey, it's serverless, everything's a lambda function, right? So there's there's those difficulties where the questionnaire doesn't doesn't meet what we're doing. There's the difficulties in terms of you might not know to a technical degree how their backend systems are set up. In fact, some of that for an MSP might be considered intellectual property, the actual where that they deliver those things. They might be quite secretive of how they do that. And then also, if you have things like security agents deployed, those kinds of things, if that um, software or, or appliance has high privilege access to your network, whilst it's unlikely for those things to be compromised when they are, it, it can be incredibly difficult to to do anything about it. You know, it's it's not unusual to see security software that it requires to run as admin, those kinds of things. I was talking, I'll give you a, a really dumb but good example of this. I was talking in a prior podcast about how um, one of the things that I would target during a pen test is the organization's vulnerability scanner. One of the reasons for that is any malicious traffic that comes from that vulnerability scanner is probably going to be ignored. It's probably full of information about vulnerabilities that they have in their systems. And also, it probably has a high privileged access. So it's going to be logging into machines to do authenticated scans, those kinds of things. So from a pen tester's point of view, that is that is a perfect system to target. The gold mine. Gold mine, absolutely. It's very similar to what we're talking about here with with other things like Kasaya or, or really any other um, agent or supplier that have access to your systems. Um a huge level of access that is opaque to you as an organization can be very, very difficult to uh, defend against. Absolutely. That wasn't an answer to the question. I just ranted about how it's hard. Um, and I was just trying to, <laughs> I was just trying to reconnect what you said to what I asked. <laughs> yeah, it was like, how do you defend against that? And I basically just said it's really hard, which isn't a real answer. <laughs> no, I was, I was, I was asking, how do you, how do you double check your supply chain or your vendors? Would you, you know, you said assessments, yes. Um, so would, how often would you send them? Or would you do a, a systems audit yourself? Would you recommend doing that, you know? So I think the first thing that I would recommend is a risk-based approach to vendors. And what I mean by that is not kind of like, oh, risk, you know, hide it behind a curtain. I mean, not every supplier has the same level of impact against your organization. A supplier that you give personal information to is a higher risk. A supplier that has software or hardware deployed within your network is a higher risk. So those should be assessed and should be assessed more frequently. The supplier who does something like um, 
buy your laptops from or maybe you buy a specific software package from. Yeah, or cleaning your windows. Yeah, exactly. That They can have <laughs> a lower risk. I mean, it definitely can be a risk, right? We could talk about, you know, the window cleaners having physical access to devices. It's still a risk, but it's a different kind of risk. And it's probably a, a, a risk that's easier to keep tight and assess. Yeah. But yeah, I would, where possible, recommend that organizations do assess their suppliers either through mandating pen testing or expecting something like a pen test report from from those providers expecting them to achieve certain compliance goals and then share what the results of those um, compliance activities are and i think supplier questionnaires are not a great solution but i don't necessarily think there's a much better alternative you want to get a huge understanding of what um, the supplier's internal network looks like and aside from sitting down and having them run you through their infrastructure there's not very many options oh not many yeah what would you do how would you ensure that your suppliers are not a risk apart from the assessments i'd probably ask uh, for a some, some kind of a security score they get from an approved or accredited body just like what you said do, doing the regular pen test i'm sure again accredited by crest or somebody right um, maybe get some sort of security scores frequently that's what I would do. And again, that's on uh, risk-based, only the, picking the suppliers that has uh, highest risk to your organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the reason for that is just there's only so many hours in the day and your own internal team is only so big. Yeah. And if you try and do everything to every supplier, you're not going to achieve it because you're just going to get information overload. Yes, absolutely. What about the frequency then? How how frequently should you enforce security controls like audits or pen tests or those kinds of things on your suppliers? Again, risk-based. Um, so how critical is the information you are sharing with your suppliers to your organization and uh, what it, it demands, right? Um, whether that is uh, the information, is it regulated, you know, or you fo- your organization following any frameworks that defines the intervals of how often do you need to do this testing? Uh, it really depends. But for highly critical information, I would say, depending on the business goals, again, business objectives and the available resources, quarterly or even monthly. Yeah, yeah. You know. It purely depends on each situation, right? It's not a blanket uh, answer for everyone. So, Yeah, I guess I'm going to bring in um, something for the audience that might be beneficial. And it's from um, startup culture, really. The idea is um, assessing your presumptions effectively. So what what I mean by this is I was talking to a company this morning and they're saying something like, oh, we want to set up um, quarterly vulnerability scanning. And I asked, why quarterly? What is the assumption that you think that that will address? And what, of course, of course, there's many variables here, but for them, what they decided was, well, vulnerability scanning should just be a continuous activity, right? When one scan finishes, we should start another one. And the reason for that in their context was there was no reason to wait. There was no point in running one and then waiting eight weeks and running another one. It was just like, well, yeah, we might as well run it. So I think that's one of the big things with any of these security activities is like, check your thinking like if you set a certain cadence on something if if you're going to say right we'll do annual penetration testing great why annual why not every 10 months or every 14 months why annual because i think what a lot of companies will realize is many of those activities the the um schedule is entirely arbitrary they'll just say well a year feels like long enough that we should do another one <laughs> Well, if you have the resources and the money or the capability to do them 
twice a year, that could be a lot better. Yeah. And and most of the times, these vulnerability scans, what we find, right, um, from the customers we speak to is the frequency is actually defined by the available resources. Okay, you do the vulnerability scan and you get the reports. What do you do after? Right, you want to fix it, but you don't have people. Or you don't have the skills. You know, so they are saying, well, you know, we do it once a month. We'll fix the issues once a month, or we do once a quarter. Fix the issues once a quarter. Yeah. Uh, well, the main point was I was trying to say, the frequency is proportional to the skills available. Yeah, the reason that I I kind of counter that wherever possible is the fact that you would very likely still want to know. So if you have a vulnerability scanner that can alert you in some way, even if it's a very basic way, like just giving you a dashboard, even if you as a business think, oh, we only have enough resources to address vulnerabilities once a quarter, if something happens, there's a new vulnerability comes out or there's some mistake made by a major software pro- uh, provider, something like that, and a new high risk issue comes out, you'd want to know about that. Even if as a business you decide we do not have the resources to action this. The reason I say that is I think if the risk was high enough, many organizations would find they do have the resources. If you don't have the manpower, you might contract out, you might get an MSP or you might get a security provider or something like that. But if you don't have that information, you can't make that decision if you don't know if there's a vulnerability. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think we've covered a lot of the of the supplier stuff and we've covered a lot of the security awareness stuff. What else do what else do organizations need to worry about? What about compliance? We briefly touched on cyber essentials. How important do you think things like cyber essentials are to organizations? Or is there some alternative that they should be going for? The reason that I ask is many companies that I talk to think that cyber essentials is a very low bar and ISO 27000 is a very high bar. And often companies complain that they feel there's nothing in the middle. How do you feel about that? Education and awareness. There are a couple of controls or frameworks they could achieve. I agree with you. Cyber essentials, we already discussed. It's a low bar. Uh, it's a baseline. What I, That's what I would call it. It's a baseline. Good starting point. ISO 27001 is, you know, extreme or superior, right? But many, many organizations we speak to struggle to achieve ISO 27001. And there are companies actually set out on the, path, on the journey and uh, given up halfway through. If the cyber essentials is uh, not for you, maybe look at CIS controls or NIST framework or, you know, something else. There is, I don't want to mention specific vendors, but there is IASMIC governance, which covers more than cyber essentials. So there are a few, or you don't necessarily want to achieve ISO 27001 accreditation, maybe just tailor it to your business and then achieve a few, few aspects of it. I'll throw one in since you gave us a really good list there. Um, The NCSC Cyber Assessment Framework, that's another one. Um, Yeah, I think the point is that there is a whole bunch of them. And very often when I talk to customers, they only talk about Cyber Essentials and 27,000 and and you've got options. But I actually like what you said there about about tailoring it, about, you know, taking a look at that framework and saying, does does this work for us? Are we achieving these things in some different ways or whatever? Um, If you're a company in the middle ground, if you don't require... 27,000, then yeah, tailoring it to your business is, is potentially a good idea. Yeah, but, but people want that emblem, that that uh, stamp. When they go through ISO 27,001, they want to get the stamp. But if they just take the few aspects and uh, tailor it to their business, 
and they won't get the uh, stamp in the end accreditation it's like um, for management if they don't communicate well it's money wasted isn't it <laughs> so uh, yeah and that that's maybe a weakness in the business internally in yes. terms of like how businesses assign budgets and do promotions and have kpis and things like that if you are mandating on your it team that they get twenty-seven thousand or something like that purely so that there is an end state and you can say well done you've achieved this that's not security right that's like stamp collecting <laughs> yes <laughs> how do you compete when there are so many security companies out there, why why should somebody pick up the phone to you? As I always say to my team here or anybody I'm mentoring, uh, I'm a big believer in this, right? Don't try to do everything. Just do few things, but do them really well. Do them, do them better than anybody else. And that's something we have done in the last couple of years since we changed our business model to cybersecurity focused. We picked one thing, which was security awareness training. You know, we were using a platform for it uh, off the shelf, but that's what we were known for. And people were calling us or existing customers were referring us to somebody else. And as of yesterday, this is the true story. A CIO moved on from one organization, which we used to work with, he went to some other organization and he sent us an email saying, I'm looking at implementing security awareness um, training. I can't think of anybody else apart from you guys who you have done a fantastic job in the last, my last company. And let us, uh, let's set up a call. That's, that's why people call us. Doing one thing and doing really well and just look after the customers. About the competition. I do say every now and then, don't worry about the competition. We are in it for domination, but I do watch out what people are actually doing in the in the industry and uh, what other people are trying to offer same services as us, but we just try to leapfrog against uh, everybody. So, And being in Aberdeen, um, uh, I'm not sure if you are uh, user, uh, listeners of the podcast aware, but we do work with uh, companies across the UK and we have some great customers in London and everywhere who refer us to their peers and it's, it's just brilliant. It's um, it's great to hear you say, look after the customers because very often when you talk to certainly founders, but, but businesses in general, and you ask them things like, what are your USPs? What do you do well? You know, they'll, they'll focus on the service line, they'll focus on the technology that they're building. But, you know, being a customer within security can be awful at times, just on the basics of just like customer services, like you want to get some help with something. And I think um, looking after the customers is something that is often missed. I definitely see it in pen testing. I definitely see it in the pen testing space where, People come to us because of our technical expertise and people come to us because, you know, they've seen a presentation or something like that and they know that we can talk really, really deeply techie. And that's great. But if you can't look after the customers and if you can't have that good relationship with them and, and keep them up to date and, and try and be flexible for their for their requirements, it's not going to work. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're the best security awareness provider in the country. If we can't get in touch with you, you don't answer your phone or you don't understand the requirements or, you know, so it's good to hear that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we we have a customer, uh, right? This particular customer, right? <laughs> Every time he has a he has something um, to do with security, he just gives us a call, says, "Hey, this is what I want. Just get it sorted. I don't want to talk to anybody else. Just you guys. I know you. You, you know you will solve my problem and you will look after me." Um, he's he's kind of our VIP customer. 
And that's what we try to do for all of our customers. Same thing. And as a result, since since we started the business, although we did IT support for a while and then cyber, I don't think we lost many customers. Maybe percentage of the retainership would be something around 97% customers we retain. So, yeah. And being a small business, uh, it helps as well. You deliver that personal service. And I put my face everywhere. <laughs> it's marketing. If I could, I would put it in the logo as well. <laughs> so so one last thing then. You mentioned, you know, we opened with you being based in Aberdeen and talking about how the markets potentially bus- they're different in Scotland and those kinds of things. But as you just point out there, you can work all the way across the UK, right? You've got customers in, in London and things like that. Um, do you consider yourselves a Scottish company or do you consider yourselves a UK company? And I don't mean that in the sense of like, which football team do you, just, do you support? I mean, where is your focus as a business? The focus is always Scotland, right? Um, well, we are a Scottish born company, but we do work with companies across UK. We are trying to help businesses everywhere in the UK. And one of the things I mentioned earlier is we picked security awareness a couple of years ago. We did really well, but we are at that stage again. We need to uh, expand and grow our services a little bit more. But at the same time, we don't want to grow too much. Um, See what we can do really, really well. And we are introducing a couple of new services. And with those services, again, we need to focus on the area to, to start with, achieve few customers, and, you know, make them love us and then grow from there. In that aspect, to answer your question, we would be focusing mainly on in Scotland for the next, you know, six months and then take it from there. Business, it changes, right? At some point, we we were focusing everywhere in the UK. At some point, we were only focusing on Aberdeen. Uh, At some point, we were focusing on Scotland. But we are a Scottish-born company. Yes, we are proud Scottish people here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If people have been listening and they they like what you're saying and they want to find out more, where can people find out more about what you do? A tech for cyber. You know, um, we we are on LinkedIn. We are on Twitter. We are everywhere. Um, Facebook is not really our thing, but yes, LinkedIn is the best place to find. J Enugu. That is J A I. My surname A E N U G U. If you Google me, you will find a bunch of stuff, all good things. <laughs> and you will find TechForce as well. Just uh, reach out. Hello at techforce.co.uk. Awesome. Jay, thank you for being on the show. It was a pleasure, Holly. Thanks again for having me. Thank you.